right, thank you, Brother Ronnie and Sister Doris. And we surely are blessed in our music department. Amen. We just really are. And we appreciate that so much. I do, especially because it's so much a part of our worship experience, our music. You ever get to singing and wish we could just keep on singing and keep on singing and keep on singing rather than the preaching? <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just kidding because if we just kept on singing and kept on singing, I'd just get up and preach no matter what time it was. <laughs> but um, singing is so very much a part of our worship experience. And we think of a lot of things when we're singing those songs. And Sue, I thought about you when we were singing that song. You probably know why. <laughs> She's laughing and shaking her head. The part about when I fall down, you pick me up. <laughs> oh my, bless her heart. Okay, we're looking in the book of Titus this morning in the third chapter. Titus and the third chapter. And I'm going to read the eighth verse. I want to preach again this morning on good works. Of course, as you know, surely you know, I've been doing it for months and months and months now. I don't really know how, how long. I know at least all the way back to the Christmas season because I called the title Why Jesus Came, and so I, I remember that part. I had uh, titled the message Why Jesus Died, and of course the theme of all, that, of all of that has been one primary theme is that the Bible, <clears throat> our New Testament, describes a special people. It really does. You say, preacher, are we to make distinction between God's people and the unregenerate world around us? We sure are and should because it's there. And the reason I've called them a special people is because really that's what the Bible calls them. It calls them a peculiar people. And that word does not mean odd or eccentric or anything like that. But it really does mean a people of special value to the Lord. That really is what that means, the meaning of that word. And so Jesus came to this world to call out of this world during this New Testament time in which we live, a people in whom He intends to work and mold and make according to His will. And as I've shared with you many times, because... Not only am I going to spend eternity with him, but he's got to spend eternity with me. And so this idea that God saves people and dumps them and then see how it turns out is sure not according to the word of God. Not according to the word of God. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that he hath before ordained that we should walk therein. Now folks, let me tell you something. My Lord he is absolutely sovereign. And He has demonstrated that in His grace that He bestows upon His people to make them His people. And we sing that little song, or the kids do, but the adults do too sometimes in Bible school. 
He's still working on me to make me what I need to be. And that is what the Lord does. If that leaves you out, I'm first of all sorry for that. And second of all, I challenge you to pray about that, why that would be the case. Sometimes people profess Christ as their Savior, and then they go out at about living like the rest of the unregenerate world. It's just a fact. It grieves my heart. It makes me so sad. But that happens. And I always warn people, you know, if you really are saved, you better watch out because God will change you. He'll, he'll fix that. If you're not really saved, He won't bother you. But if you're saved, He will discipline you and He will accomplish His purpose and His will. Paul said, I'm persuaded of this, that he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. That's been the theme of the preaching on Sunday morning. Now we had come down in that passage from verse 11 through verse 14, and I'd shared with you some identifying marks of that special people in the Bible. This is just a fact. I'm not making it up, it's just the way it is. And I shared with you these points. They are first of all teachable. The Bible says in verse 11 of the second chapter, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us. Remember I preached a sermon on who are the us? Who are they teaching us? There wouldn't be any need for grace to teach if the person was not teachable. The second thing I brought to your attention is that they are a godly people to the best of their ability. Because the Bible tells us this in the next verse, that they are denying ungodliness and worldly lust, and that they attempt to the best of their ability to live righteously and soberly and godly in this present world. That describes them. They are described there. You remember the third point was that they're an expectant people. They are a secure people. Because the next verse tells us, looking for that glorious appearing, uh, uh, blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God, Jesus Christ. There are people that's looking for that. They wouldn't be looking for that if it wasn't for the fact that they're ready for that to happen. And so they're an expectant people. They're secure. And then the fourth thing is they are zealous of good works. And last Sunday morning I brought a message, I meant to get them both in there, but I didn't do it, and I preached mostly on the zeal, and how a lot of people have a zeal. Many, many people, we meet very few people that don't have a zeal, but sometimes that zeal can be for the wrong things. That zeal can be something that won't amount to anything a hundred years from now. That's just the way it is. And so these people have the right kind of zeal. And I had just mentioned in preaching that there's a shortage of good works and I never got to really address that matter and uh, I got questions about that. And I got comments about that. And uh, I, I, I didn't get to share some things with you. So I'm going to do that this morning and I'm going to remind you that in the book of Titus, here's what I found. I found in chapter 2 and verse 7, Showing thyself a pattern of good works. There's good works mentioned there now. And I want you to notice that one. And then of course in our text verse, verse 14 of chapter 2, a peculiar people zealous of good works. 
And then uh, the Bible tells us in chapter 3 and verse 14, and let ours also learn to maintain good works. And then for our text this morning, I'm going to read verse 8 of chapter 3. I'll read that verse, and then as time permits this morning, I want to address some other verses in this chapter to go with that. So this morning, I'm addressing the subject of good works. Something interesting in verse 8. I'm going to tell you that before I read it. It tells us to be careful to maintain good works. And I want to remind everyone that if you don't have good works, you can't maintain what you don't have. Right? Don't that make sense? You have to already have it. So I want to identify good works to the best of my ability this morning. And if time runs out, you know how it is. I just pick it right back up and address it again till I get done. Reading verse 8, and may the Lord bless His Word. Notice it real careful. It says this, Paul tells Titus a Baptist preacher. You say, preacher, you don't know that. Yeah, I do. They all were back then. <laughs> Every one of them was. From John the Baptist on, they've been Baptist preachers, if they've been right and sound. Verse 8, he says, this is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Now I'm preaching to people this morning who have good works who understand to some degree what good works are. And if you don't, maybe I can point out some things that will help you understand it a little bit better as we go along. And so I want to issue what is issued here in this verse, and that is be careful, be careful to maintain good works. Now, it's a warning. Well, it's, it's more than a warning. It's an admonition from a loving God, actually, is what it is. Be careful, be careful. All right, so uh, I'll I'll just mention right quickly that there are things that are good works in our own eyes or maybe in the eyes of others that are flat out rejected by Almighty God. They don't amount to anything as far as God's concerned. You remember last Sunday morning I did mention this much, that any, any good works with the idea of meriting salvation is flat out rejected of God. It is rejected. Now listen to me, it may be beneficial. In other words, if you're blessed with material wealth and you're using that wealth to help unfortunate people, maybe you're feeding the poor and all kinds of stuff like that, I I encourage you to keep on doing it because it's beneficial for those people. But I will tell you, if you're using it as merit for salvation, God rejects it. Totally rejects it. You know what He called it? Filthy rags. You say, preacher, surely the Bible doesn't call works like that filthy. It sure does call it that. There are good works that God rejects. I'd like to point out a passage of Scripture in the book of Isaiah. And it's in the first chapter. Moving words. Of course, it starts out at the very beginning of the first chapter of Isaiah. And God says about His people 
And they weren't very good people. He says, for example, in verse 4, a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. They're backslidden people. In verse 6 he says, From the sole of their foot even to their head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Listen to those words. And then I would point out what he says in verse number 11. He says this, Now remember the point that I'm making is there are sometimes good works that are totally rejected of God. Totally. And he says this in verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices? Unto me, saith the Lord, I'm full of burnt offerings and of ram and fat of fed beef. I delight not in the blood of bullocks or lambs or he goats. When you come to appear before me who hath required this your hand to tread on my courts. God rejects some good works. And those that are used or trusted in, and that's where the faith, that's what's wrong with it. When one puts his faith in his works to get him to heaven, that's not faith. That's not saving faith. And that is rejected of the Lord. So he rejects that. He rejects that. Now I want to I wanna give you another point. And I, this, I believe it was Brother Jim brought this to my attention last Sunday morning after the service. Uh, good works are those that flow from a new heart. A new heart. I want to remind you this morning that a new heart means this is a saved person. One of the things the Bible says he does when he saves a person is he takes away the heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. Circumcises the heart is what the Bible says. So God gives, now this is, this is one of those things that makes a world of difference between a saved person and one that's not. The saved person has a new heart and a new nature. That's what he has. So there is no works that do not come from a renewed heart are rejected of God. Now I could say this morning uh, a, a, a heart that is uh, one, uh, from faith. Let me put it that way. From faith. Now the Bible tells us these things about faith. It tells us in Hebrews 11 and verse 6. Listen to this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So what if someone done good works and they, were not, they didn't have faith? Well, it don't please God, right? That only makes sense. It does not please God. So works must come from a renewed heart but in order for God to receive them or to bless or be pleased with those works. So it's got to come from a renewed heart or come from faith. The Bible says that in Hebrews eleven six, it is impossible. I'm telling you this morning, apart from faith, it is impossible to please God. The Bible also says this. I think it's in the book of Romans in the 14th chapter. That which is not of faith, whatsoever is not of faith, is sin. Did you know that? That's a shocking revelation. Anything apart from faith, God sees it as sin. You say, I don't understand why it would be sin. Well, if I did something, good works, and it didn't come from 
uh, faith, then I would have another motive for that. That's just the way it is. My motive, and that's going to be the next point, of course, is the motive. But that which is without faith, God rejects that. Now what about the motive this morning? The good works can be performed for a wrong motive. Somebody might say, Pastor, I love you, I appreciate you, and I want to do stuff in the church to make you like me and make you praise me or whatever. <laughs> that would be a wrong motive, wouldn't it? Amen? If you did it for me or you did it for your husband or your wife or your children or your parents or whatever, if you, you can have, people can do things, do good works with a wrong motive for doing them. They, listen, let me tell you, you can do things in the service of the Lord just to be seen. Sue and I were coming to church this morning and we were discussing a certain person that we really know well. We know this person better than I would like to know this person because it bothers me. They, if they do something, if they do something good, if they do something helpful, the first thing they'll do is they'll broadcast it everywhere. They'll tell everybody they can uh, communicate the best they can that they're doing something good. We're doing God's work and we're doing something good. Let me tell you something, that's not the way uh, people who have a right attitude about their works do. They don't need to be broadcast, amen? The Lord sees what I'm doing. He sees what's on my heart. And it doesn't matter if anybody else sees that or not. You know, the Bible even tells, Jesus told the Pharisees, when you do your alms, don't you do them in front of people to be seen. And if you do, you've done got your reward right then and there. That wasn't much of a reward, but that's what Jesus said. You got it right then and there. So there has to be, our works have to be with a right motive. With a right motive on our heart. And, and let me give you an illustration of that. Now, I've been preaching for some time about prayer and it be a form of sowing to the Spirit. I've been preaching on Sunday night for, I don't know. Man, it's been years, I guess. I don't know. And I got to chapter 6 and run into that verse that said, For God is not mocked, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. I've been a pastor for over 40 years. I've seen a lot of reaping. I really have. I've seen reaping that I expected to see. I'm, I'm not judging, but I've just witnessed it. I like the thought of good reaping. That's what I like. See, it's not always people think in the way of bad reaping, but reaping can be good. And that's what I've been preaching about forever is sowing to the Spirit. And more prayer is one of the best ways to sow to the Spirit because we're told in the book of Romans we don't know what to pray for. How could you? How could I? I've learned to depend on the Holy Spirit to give me a burden on my heart. And when I've got a burden on my heart for someone or something, I really do pray. I really do. And I thank God for that. You see, He don't need my prayers. How many of you know this morning God can do anything He wants to do? How many of you know this morning the Bible says He does do exactly what He wants to do? He works His will 
on the earth and in heaven. And one of my favorite prayers to pray, and I pray it often when I don't know what else to pray, I'll say, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I do that. Somebody says, Preacher, I want you to pray for me. Okay, I will. I always will. I'll always pray for you. If you don't tell me what it is, I'll still pray for you. I've had two unspoken requests. I don't know what they are. But I had people to tell me or text me, Preacher, will you pray for me? I have an unspoken request. I don't have to know your request. I'm going to tell you one thing. I'll be praying for you right away. God, thy will be done in this person's life. Nothing better. I couldn't pray for anything better. Thy will be done. Now let me give you something about about praying. I want to give you this. Now listen, I know I'm preaching to people that pray. You pray all the time. And I thank God for you. Let me tell you something that ought to dominate and motivate every prayer you pray. Every one of them. And I'll tell you that when I pray for you, I'm praying this too. Not only God's will be done, but I'm praying this. You say, preacher, what is it? Well, look with me in John chapter 14. In the 14th chapter of John. And this is pretty awesome. It's amazing sometimes how that in one single little verse, we can have, get such a revelation. From one single verse. I, I, it, it's my prayer that everybody listening this morning will make this your practice from now on. Not only thy will be done, but here's what Jesus said in verse 13 of John chapter 14. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name. Now I know you noticed something that all the prayers that are prayed here at Emmanuel, they're prayed just like I pray. When I finish my prayer, oftentimes I say, in, in Jesus' name and for His sake. <laughs> I like that, don't you? For His sake. In Jesus' name. Are we to pray in Jesus' name? Absolutely. Jesus said, Whatsoever you ask in My name, that will I do. Now listen to this. Now you say, but I've asked the Lord for this or that or the other and He didn't do it. Well, I would tell you something, it might not have been His will. And you know, God, He answers all prayers. Sometimes He answers them with a big fat no. <laughs> you can't have that. That's not good for you. Or, here's a good one, when we're praying for somebody else, when we're praying for somebody else. I sent somebody a text this morning, and I said, I just wanted to remind you that I'm praying for you. Listen, if I ever pray for you, there'll be a couple things in the back of my prayer. Number one, thy will be done. Number two, is coming. Jesus said, you ask my name, that I'll do, that the Father may be glorified. You think about that. You think about, I do this sometime, I'll get ready to pray for something or somebody and I'll say, now Lord, I just want to tell you, First and foremost, I'm praying for your glory. When I lift up this person in prayer, I'm praying for your glory. 
I do it. I really do it. So that illustrates something. The motive in my praying must always be that God be glorified in my praying. Amen? Well, we don't know how that might come about. We don't know the little details about that. But Lord, the desire of my heart is that you be glorified in answering this prayer. Be glorified in that. So, there is a right motive in prayer. Uh, I've been preaching on Sunday night. I'll be taking up the subject again tonight about uh, bearing fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the praise and glory of God. Jesus said in John chapter 15, when we bear much fruit, God is glorified. God is glorified. Now folks, I want to tell you this morning, the right motive for good works. And, and, and I'm not excluding the fact that they may be beneficial in a lot of ways. If I was starving and you brought me a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken, <laughs> that'd be what I'd order. <laughs> I want you to know that that would be beneficial. Regardless of what your motive was, I have to tell you this story right quick. I, do, I say that every once in a while, just joking around. I say, come and see me sometime and bring a bucket of chicken with you. <laughs> I do. I've, I've done that hundreds and hundreds of times. Well, this fellow was visiting from Atlanta, Georgia back years ago. He was visiting my brother, and I knew him. I think maybe I might have been in school with him or whatever. He was on his way home, and he's telling me so long, and I said, well, come and see me sometime and bring a bucket of chicken with you. About three or four years later, there was a knock on my door. <laughs> I went to the door, and he stuck it out there. He said, you told me to bring a bucket of chicken. <laughs> I got a bucket of chicken for that, amen? And I enjoyed it. It was mighty good. But there's the motive, you see. Why would I want to, what would I want to do good works? I'd want to do good works before, because Jesus said, God is glorified. So the motive has to be right. Now there's some positive things about our good works that we need to think about. I believe all fruits of the Spirit, as in Galatians 5.22 I've been preaching on that Sunday night about that being the fruits of righteousness. All of that is good works. All of it. Every bit of that are good works. The fruits of our lips, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, when we speak good things and encouraging things and we try to uplift our brothers and sisters in Christ or encourage them along the way. I love to do that. There's so much encouragement in the Word of God. So much encouragement. I told Brother Ronald this week, one of my favorite verses of Scripture in all the Bible, all things work together for good for them that are called by His name, who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Ronald's gone through some difficult things. But if he'll look for them, the Lord will show him what they are. You see? That's the way we ought to face every difficulty in life. Every threat to us in life. We ought to look at that and say, Lord, I know You've made me that promise and I'm going to be searching for it and I'm going to be looking for it. So all of those. Any act of, direct, of, of obedience to the direct command of God and the New Testament is full of them. Obedience, that's a good work. 
and any work that flows from gratitude. How many of you have done things in the service of the Lord but, and the motivation was you're so thankful for all that He's done for you? You see what I'm saying? So those are good works. Now why are they important? I want to show you some things that reason they are. First of all, our good works demonstrate to us that we're following the will of God. Now, there shouldn't be any doubt in anybody's mind, according to our text that we've been addressing, that good works are the will of God. There's no doubt in anybody's mind. That is God's will. That I perform good works, or I do good works in my life. That is the will of God. That tells me, that's one of the benefits of that, it tells me that I'm doing the will of God. Number two, it is an affirmation of the grace of God working in us. Now you know I preached a bunch of sermons on grace. I told you I was a grace preacher. I'm a sovereign grace preacher. I love the grace of God. I was listening to a message this morning uh, on the radio and it was about that. And I just loved that so much. I believe that grace is more than unmerited favor and God's riches at Christ's expense. It's more than that. It is an active force that works in His people. And so when I do good works, I know grace is working in me because that's what, that's what produces those good works. It's the grace that works in our life. Next, it is an affirmation of our faith. Do you have faith? I'm asking a serious question. Do you have faith? Well, I remind you of something James said about it. Now, I want you to think about your faith in relationship to good works. And I, the point I'm making, it's an affirmation of my faith. Here's what he said in chapter 2, 17 through 20. Listen to this real careful. He says, Even so, faith, if it hath not works, it's dead. I'm sorry to inform you this morning, if you do not have them, if you cannot, I've tried to help you identify them, if you don't have them, don't claim to have faith. Or you can claim to have faith if you want to, but the Bible says it's dead. Dead faith. So even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. He says this, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I'll show thee my faith by my works. I'm telling you this morning, the Bible says that's how you identify faith. It's by our works. That's how it's identified. He goes on to say, Thou believest there is one God? Everybody say, Yes, I do. I believe in God. Listen to this. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Well, I just found out believing in God is not enough. That's exactly what he says. Because the demons and the devil believe and fear and tremble. And you can read about that in the New Testament. In the presence of our Lord, demons trembling and begging. Don't judge me now. So somebody might say, I believe in God. Well, that's good. That's what he said. 
but so do the devils, and they tremble. And then he says this, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. So I want to tell you this morning, the Bible teaches me that good works are an affirmation of my faith. If you think you've got faith, and of course if you've got faith, it's saving faith or it's no faith at all. You see what I'm saying? It's saving faith. Where'd you get it? It come from our Lord. Because He is the author and finisher of our faith. You see, that's where it comes from. So, guess what? He gets all the glory and praise. Then, another thing why it's important, uh, it, good works are necessary for the work of the church. Now, if you want to see the Lord's kingdom and cause in this world, it's demonstrated through the local New Testament church. And so works are important for the edifying, the building up, or the work of the church. What if there was no workers at Emmanuel Baptist Church? What if the only people that were a part of the church were just people who slipped in occasionally and slipped out with no thought whatsoever about working for the Lord in and through the local New Testament church? Well, if, if that was true, we wouldn't have a church. If that was true, you wouldn't have a pastor. Well, you might have those preachers that'll be your pastor whether you do anything or not. They're just glad to be here. You know what I'm saying? And I'm glad to be here, but uh, that's just not me, you know. If, what if there was nobody doing any good works which show up in support of the church, right? That's what the Bible tells us. What if a large number of our people were to follow the example of a few among us who don't do nothing? And that's not just saying that about our church. It, man, I've pastored, this is the sixth church in 40-something years. They've all been that way. I don't care where you go, anywhere in the United States there will be people who are part of the church that don't do nothing. And they don't intend to do nothing. Don't call on me. I'm too busy. My zeal is for things that are to be consumed on my own lust, is the way the Bible describes it. What if? So works are what gets, makes the church go and makes the church work. We have a commission. We've been given orders from our Lord about what we're supposed to be doing. And I will just tell you, we can't do it without uh, good works. I, one of the things that I'm so thankful for, and I talk to preachers all the time, I've got a lot of pastor friends, and just about every time I talk to them, they talk about, well, what's the effect of COVID on, you, on the church you pastor? Well, it's affected us. Our attendance dropped. There are some, I think, have decided they not only was going to avoid a crowd during COVID, but they're just going to keep avoiding a crowd, period. That just happens. It happens everywhere. Uh, our church has not suffered like that. It suffered some, but not a lot. Suffered some, but not a lot. One of the things uh, our treasurer shared with us when we were working on the budget, at the end of the year, uh, it was last year, I think it was, in our men's meeting, our treasurer shared with me, 
that the income of our church was only $500 less than it was the year before, before COVID. You know what I thought? That is absolutely awesome. Even though we stopped passing the plate, people just kept on giving. Passing the plate doesn't cause you to have to give, but people just kept on giving. They began to load up our uh, uh, post office box at the post office. Uh, they began to come all kinds of ways until we put these little boxes around, you know. And you know what? It, it, it hasn't changed anything, and it wouldn't. It wouldn't change nothing if people are sincere. And so we've got workers. I thank God for our workers. And I want to tell you something. I, I've run out of time, but I want to just give you one more thing. I want to give you some encouragement from this verse of Scripture. It said, be careful to maintain good works. Now, if you're around at the end of the Sunday night service, uh, outside, a lot of times my, my boys are out there. If they're not out there, they're somewhere around. Tim and the men that help him in the security team, they make sure this building's shut down and taken care of and that kind of thing. So usually when I leave, they're still here. I'm glad for many, many years I was the one that had to do all that. I had to do about everything. That's the reason you still got me as a pastor after 23 years coming up in a month or two. Because I don't have to just do everything. I can focus on things that are what I think are more important. And, but they're, they'll be out there. You'll hear me say, Boys... Be careful in the morning. Be careful. You say, well, what do you mean when you say that? They got to take off like many of you do and have on that little journey to Georgetown, Kentucky and back. And every morning they're on the road before daylight. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart when I say, boys, be careful in the morning. Be careful. We tell people that. You know what? That, that's not just a mundane thing that we're saying. It's serious, right? Did you ever dream that the Bible would tell you as a child of the King to be careful? You know, I wondered when I saw that, I wonder why Paul wrote that. It must have been because some weren't. It must have been. And you know what? I've learned over the years, if I'm not careful, I know what will happen. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. There is a proneness in us to go backward rather than forward. The Bible says, be careful. Be careful. Now, the opposite about of being careful, and I know that if the boys, they are, they'll always say, we, we are, Dad, we will. And I know they do. They're, they're both good drivers, and they're careful. I know that, but I have to tell them what I think about it. <laughs> Be careful. The opposite of being, being careful, listen to me, Christian, is being 
apathetic, being reckless, thoughtless, going about in our life. I want to tell you all something. God wouldn't tell you to be careful if he didn't mean it. Be careful to maintain good works. Father, we thank you for teaching us. We thank you for emphasizing that which ought to always be important in our life. I want to take that serious personally myself. I want to be careful. I want to be so careful to maintain whatever good work you'll teach me about from your word because I want your honor and your glory from my life. I pray you'd speak to all of us this morning. There may be those who need to make a commitment wherever they might be to serve you more faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me now? Brother Ronnie's going to come and lead us in the closing number.